this morning. We offer you praise and thanks for all that you've done for us. We offer you praise and thanks simply because of who you are. And Lord, we truly worship you right now. Lord, we're asking that you help us to be clear this morning. Help us to put aside those things that we brought here this morning. Help us to put aside our daily lives, the daily grind, our fears and failures, our victories. Help us to put all that aside this morning, Father, so that we can focus on you, so that we can truly understand what it is that you want us to do. Guide us, Father. Help us to hear you whisper. In your Son's name we pray. My name is Jim Mitch. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We haven't met before. Uh, my wife asked me to start telling more stories about our 11-month-old daughter uh, because she thinks that she's really cute, and I think that she's really cute, and we think that you'll think that she's really cute. And it was really cute about 10 minutes ago. She actually peed all over me, and I had this big, long strip here, but it's dried up, so at least, you know, if you see something there, I'm not nervous. I've just been urinated on, so... Uh, but the funny thing is, when she was born, uh, we didn't know that we were going to spend so much time in the hospital. Uh, we were a week overdue, and uh, we went in for a checkup. And at that checkup, we still had a few more days to go before Sam was going to be induced. And at that checkup, the, the doctor took a look and said, oh, your blood pressure's high. We need to get you into the hospital right now. And so we weren't prepared. We just had to go straight into the hospital. We spent so much time in there. If you've ever had to spend an, exp an extended amount of time in the hospital, you know it's a terrible, terrible place to be. Uh, it like, just grinds your life out of you. Um, and after a few days, we finally got some progress. We were in, I don't remember what floor or what room we were in, but they had one of those great big chairs that's, that are just designed to, to help pregnant women um, just kind of sit, move a little bit, you know, and get things going. And I was trying to sit in it, and they, they don't want you to go all the way back, because, I mean, a pregnant woman, if she got all the way back, she wouldn't be able to get out again, right? Uh, so it's not designed for luxury, it's not designed for comfort. Uh, and I'm trying to sit in it and get comfortable, and my wife's up on the bed, you know, and she's going through all of her stuff, and I'm trying to get comfortable, I'm like, oh man, I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> and she looks at me and goes, really? <laughs> Well, that wasn't the first mistake that I made, and it was not going to be the last either. But when we had, finally had the C-section, when Olivia finally came into the world, the doctors did one specific thing after they made sure she was breathing and all that stuff. They took her over to this little station, and there they have this electronic scale, and they have a place where they can measure your child. And the very first thing that any birth, or any nurses and doctors do in any birth, is they weigh and they measure your child. They weigh and measure it. Now, why do they do that? Does anybody know? After, after a week, after a month, after a year, the doctors want to take a look and see how much your baby has what? Grown. That's right. We were just at an appointment for Olivia, and uh, we just wanted to make sure she was okay, get her booster shot and all that stuff. And again, the doctor weighed her and, and compared that weight to the last weigh-in and the last weigh-in and all that stuff. And essentially, I mean, Olivia is a really tiny girl. She's only 19 pounds right now at 11 months. Some babies here at the church were that much when they, you know, were like four months old and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, Olivia's a pretty tiny baby. But the doctor wanted us to be assured. She's like, you don't need to worry. Yes, Olivia is small, but as long as she is growing, she is healthy. I'm sure there's varying degrees of health and there's varying degrees of nutrition and all those things. 
But as long as the doctors see growth, they will say that the child is healthy. Now we as leadership here at the church, we take a look at our members, and we know that our members are committed Christians. Well, how do we measure a committed Christian? How do we know that there's any sort of movement for committed Christians? Well, the answer is the same thing. As long as a Christian is growing, a Christian will be healthy. There are varying degrees of growth. There are varying degrees of health. But as long as there is growth, there will be health. doesn't matter if you're brand new to Jesus or if he's been a longtime companion of yours. If there is growth, there will be health. And so we want to assist in that, that growth process. We want the children of God to grow. And again, the question becomes, well, how do we do that? As a leadership, we've identified three things that we know. If all of our members did these three things, we will see some growth, as monumental or incremental as it might be. And we've been exploring those over the past few weeks. We started out week one with love God. It's the first thing that we have to do as Christians. Love God. And the way we define that is saying our members need to attend church one hour a week. And that's important. Because when you're here, you're able to see other Christians worshiping God. And I know there's an argument that's out there right now that people believe that they can worship God in whatever way they want and do it on their own time, however they want to. And I've had people argue with me that they don't need to attend church because they honor God at home. And I say that that is ridiculous. Because when you're by yourself, when the blinders are on, you can't see other people. You have no evidence that God is on the move, that things are happening, that people's lives are being changed. Beyond that, you don't get to experience life in a group. You don't get to experience worship in a group. And there is something about being together and worshiping together that helps my heart, that helps your heart. It helps you to see that you're not alone. That there are other people who take this as seriously as you do. That there are other people that are coming to Christ and knowing Christ. And that God is really doing things in people's lives. One hour a week in church. That's what that means. Love God. The second thing that we need to do is to love people. Now there's a lot of ways to do this. But what we've identified is to say we want to spend one hour a week involved in a life group of some sort. We have all kinds of groups meant for all kinds of people. This is an opportunity to get to study and to know people within the church, to get connected and to feel that kind of community. In a life group, you're able to ask questions and you're able to participate in a way that you're not able to here in church. I mean, can you imagine if we just opened it up every single day to any question that's out there and spent all the time to go through all the questions and do all that stuff? We would be here for hours and hours and hours and some of it would be very meaningful and some of it wouldn't. But in a life group, you have the opportunity to engage, to ask questions, to get into the deeper parts, and, and to get to know other people. And those people can help you on your walk, and you can help other people on their walk. It is community. It is connection. Love people. One hour of study in a life group per week. And those two things come directly from the lips of Jesus. Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to love God and to love other people. He said all the Bible, the whole thing, it all boils down to those two principles. Those come directly from the lips of Jesus. But we have a third part of our mission. And 
And the third part of our mission comes directly almost off of every single page of the New Testament. I'm going to read here a passage from 1 Peter. Let's see if you can catch what this third theme is. This is 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Each of you, now he's speaking to Christians, each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. To Peter, faith was no trivial matter. There was none of this coming to church, sitting for an hour, going home and doing nothing. That thought never even crossed his mind. He didn't even conceive of a place that could even, even foster that sort of thought. To him, if you have faith, it meant that you were prepared to do things in the name of Jesus to bring honor and glory to God. That's what it meant. There was no room for argument. He says that through our actions... The outside world will understand who Jesus is and what God means in our lives. You know, if faith means coming to church and then going to a small group and then just going back home and being the same as every other person that's out there, whether they're Christians or not, that faith means very little. I mean, we've seen evidence of this, haven't we? We live in this really weird time. When people look at the church and say that the church is a thing of evil, right? They, they don't believe that the church is somewhere where you go to have your life changed. They don't believe that pastors and priests and things like that are people who are, who are good people. They, they're, they're people to be distrusted, even hated. We're not allowed to talk about Jesus in schools and in public places because it's going to offend other people. And what they see, what they see is generations of Christians who came to church and acknowledged Jesus with their lips, and then went home and denied Him by their lifestyle. We have generations of that to break through. And as leadership, we don't want to participate in that sort of thing. We don't want our people to come here and sing praises to God and then go home and be the same every single day. That's not what it's about. And if that's what we do, if we go home and just act the same way that the rest of the world does. It means that our faith doesn't matter. That kind of faith is no faith at all. That kind of faith does nothing but serve yourself. It means that you're more interested in being comfortable than you are in singing the praises of our Lord. It means that you're more interested in, in what you're invested in, in your, your own finances, in, in your own hobbies, in, in your own in your own marriage, in, in your friendships, than you are in the relationship that you have with Jesus. It is self-serving and self-defeating. And it's why our world looks at the church and says, no, I don't need any of that. That's ridiculous. We are responsible for our faith, and we are responsible in bringing others to know who Jesus is through what we do. 
This is why Peter says that through our actions we are to serve other people and bring honor and glory to God through Jesus Christ. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to use our faith as a building template that we start serving other people so that all the world can know who Jesus is. We need to take responsibility for that. And in taking that responsibility, it needs to be done in a manner that brings honor and glory to God. Now, I have a friend. His name is Colin. Uh, he's a really bright guy. And he went to school, uh, and he got an English literature degree. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Uh, English lit is a very viable. If you have an English lit degree, all the power to you. Um, but he got an English literature degree, and he loved going to university. He really did. He went there, and he loved going to classes. He loved the lectures. Uh, he loved all the reading that he had to do. He loved getting together with other students at that university and going off and doing all kinds of things, having adventures and, and doing extracurricular stuff. Then one day when he graduated, he went off to get a job. And the job that he took was at an amusement park. Now, imagine this for a second. He's got a head full of knowledge. I mean, he is really bright. He knows how to analyze literature, and he's well-read. How much time do you suppose he spends discussing English literature at an amusement park? All that knowledge, all that community, every, everything that he is, is completely wasted in that job. People don't interact with him and then walk away going, man, I wish I could read Chaucer right now. You know, they don't walk away from him going, hmm, I really need to investigate this Shakespeare. All of that is completely wasted. And if we have a church that is full of callers, that come, that listen, that have a head full of knowledge, that have good friends, but then go out the door and do nothing with that information, do nothing with that community, do nothing to show the world that they have a changed life, that faith is completely wasted. <clears throat> We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to go out to do, and by our actions, we're supposed to see that God gets all the glory. Take a look in Galatians, how this is phrased. Brothers and sisters, God has called you to freedom. Freedom from sin. Hear the call. And do not spoil this gift by using your liberty to engage in what your flesh desires. Instead, use it to serve each other as Jesus taught, through love. For the whole law comes down to this one instruction. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. It's inescapable. It's a clear command in Scripture. To be growing children, we must serve the world. We must. Well, that's a big statement. Serve the world. There's millions of ways in which you can there's millions of ways in which you can bring honor and glory to God through what you do. And all of them are very acceptable, and we encourage you to go out and to serve the world to the best of your abilities, to bring glory to God, however and whenever, wherever you can. But, we're at church, and we want to see our members growing. We want to, we want to be able to, to chart and to measure. We want to be able to see that people are actually growing. We want to be able to know that you are doing things to, to grow because we care about that. And 
so we want to capture something very specific. We want to be specific in the way that we, we see people serving. You know, when I was 18, I worked out of this sort of temp office. Um, this place worked as sort of a call-in center for local businesses and individuals to call if, if they needed like a day laborer or someone who could fill in uh, doing whatever job. Um, I did all kinds of stuff that summer from shoveling gravel, I was out hay baling, um, one guy just needed me to hang pictures in his house, stuff like that. I got the call one day, and I was supposed to go to this old uh, used goods store, sort of like a thrift store. That's how it was explained to me over the phone. And I was supposed to get together with a couple other guys, meet at the job site, and what we were going to do is move all the contents of that store from one location to another, which was about two or three blocks away. Well, I showed up, and this place was no thrift store. I, I swear, this is a place where some hoarder had been for a long, long time, throwing junk into this giant pile. Okay, we got inside there, and there was all kinds of like lumber and building supplies in this huge pile. Underneath that was garbage. Underneath that was dust. Underneath that, I don't even want to know what we were touching. Okay, it was just really, really gross. And there was like stuff that other people wanted, and it was just disgusting. Anyway, there was these three other guys that were there that showed up at the job site that morning. Now, we showed up, we all looked at each other, and instantly didn't like each other. Okay? Uh, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Whenever a bunch of guys get together for the very first time, you don't know any of them, guys size each other up. We just do it. Uh, be honest with yourselves. We all look at each other like, okay, I can take him, I can take him, I better avoid him. And, you know, that's just the way we are. We, we can't help it. It's built into and so we sized each other up and instantly decided that none of us liked each other and we were just going to work by ourselves, right? Just moving lumber and stuff like that. I mean, how hard could that possibly be? Well, it was in the middle of the summer, and it was like 30 degrees every single day. There was no air conditioning. Uh, it got to be disgusting, hard, long work. By the end of day two, we discovered that we actually needed to work together in order to accomplish this goal of moving all this stuff. Because if we all just tried it our own way, we got in each other's way, uh, things weren't being organized, it just wasn't working out. By the end of day three, we discovered that our teamwork was actually really quite effective, and we started discovering that some of us had different kinds of gifts that could help us along the way. Obviously, I wasn't one of the most extreme laborers, you know, I wasn't taking the biggest portions and all that stuff. The six-foot guy that had a bazillion muscles coming off of everything, he was the one that was carrying all the heavy stuff. We, we just started to realize that we had different gifts and we were able to serve each other in different ways within that job. By the end of the week, we actually had become friends. Not because we were a group of guys that would have gotten together anyway outside of that job site. We weren't. We became friends because we experienced slogging through something together. We experienced a kind of, a kind of suffering together. And we had to suffer towards a specific goal. We had to work together to accomplish one specific goal. And we became a community through that. This is the type of thing that our leadership wants to see. We don't want to see our members go off and be lone rangers out there. We want our people to work together towards the common goal of whatever that ministry is. We want people to work together and experience community together so that you can grow, so that you can see God at work in other people and see it in practice in what you're doing. This is what we want to see. 
Now, in 2008, I had the opportunity to go to Poland on a missions trip. And we had a big group. And it wasn't a group of people that I would necessarily spend a lot of time with outside of that group. And that's okay. But while we were there, while we were preparing, while we were actually physically on the ground in Poland, we became a tight-knit group. We became a group that depended on each other for our daily needs. We were a group that depended on each other for support and for love and for friendship. We became a group that needed each other to accomplish a shared goal. And we did. We're not at the point now where we all get together every so often and just like, you know, have a party and, and go out to dinner every week. No, 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 that doesn't happen. But we have a shared thing in our past that we can say, hey, remember Poland? And we're right there, instantly. It's really cool. And this is the type of thing that we want to see happen. This is why we want people to join our ministries. This is what we want to see happen in service, community. We want to see our members strive towards a common goal and create hope and trust. We want to see people coming together through service. And in serving through our ministries, you learn so much about yourself and about other people and how to interact with other people and how to interact with people that you don't even understand. It's amazing to see it happen. You know, when you see people up here on stage, I bet you when half of them joined the worship ministry, they thought they were just coming on to play a little guitar or to sing or whatever. But when they're up here, they have learned so many things about communication leadership, spiritual development, all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't guess when you first come to that ministry. Right now, downstairs, we have people that are teaching our children. A lot of people down there working really, really hard. And I know for some of them, when they first came to that ministry, they thought they were being recruited to do some kind of glorified babysitting, right? Like herding cats. Uh, children are scary. It can be very, very scary. But I know for one particular individual that she came to it thinking that it was going to be like that. And instead, what she discovered is that she has a passion for teaching children. She has a passion for teaching them about Christ and the hope that they can have in Christ, just like the hope that she has. And it's amazing. There's another lady that's down there right now that understands that teaching is her purpose on this earth. That teaching children about the compassion of Jesus is something that she just must do. And she knows it. Can you imagine having that kind of clarity? That's fantastic. There's another man that got involved in youth ministry. And, and he came to it thinking that, okay, I'll, I'll be a body in, in the youth class or whatever in the youth ministry. And he thought he was going to hate it. He was just doing it to do me a favor. And he showed up there thinking that teenagers were scary and horrible and all that stuff. And he discovered that they weren't. He discovered that they were wonderful people with, with love and, and passions of their own. And he discovered that his purpose is helping those people understand who Jesus is, who they're made before their creator, who they are, and helping them along that path of faith. You know, I know one couple that opened their home to a white group because they just wanted to be nice. That's it. There was no super deep spiritual thing there. But when they did that, they had a group of people come in and start to engage spiritually with them. 
And they discovered over the course of time that this wasn't something to be done just to be nice. This was an opportunity to bring Jesus into their home. This was an opportunity to have their faith be blessed by other people speaking into it. And they have grown because they opened their home to a life group. You know, there's all kinds of jobs in the church. To prepare communion is to literally set the table for people to come and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. That's what it is. To teach is to bring people closer to the knowledge and the understanding that their sins are forgiven and that they are children of God. To shovel snow, alright? To shovel snow is to allow people entrance into a place where they can come and worship God. To meet other Christians in prayer and worship and learning. These are all noble, noble, amazing things. There is no small job in the church. And the crazy part about it all is you may volunteer for a job, but what you're going to discover is an experience of growth, community, leadership, ownership, and opportunities to glorify God through your own service. That's what you discover when you serve the world. And if you think right now that the church can't use you, you're going, yeah, okay, well, you could use a couple teachers, I'm not really a teacher. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to show you a list. This is a list that I wrote in five minutes off the top of my head. And these are a bunch of positions that we need immediately. I need people in all of these roles right now, today. We need people to work in the nursery. We need people to help in the Halifax kids' class. Not even teach, just help. Be a body in there, like, you know, help kids do their stuff. We need people who can do property maintenance. We need people who can prepare and clean up coffee. We need people who can, who can greet other people. We need communion people to, to help prepare communion and clean it up. We need people to visit in the hospitals. We need people to help run lights and run the, the audio-visual stuff. You know, push buttons. And hey, if you can do this, you can do that. Uh, we need people who can run sound. We need people who can drive. We need people to host life groups. We need people to lead life groups. We need teachers down in Halifax Kids. We need people who are artists. We need artists to do their thing. We need people who can visit the elderly. We need people to plan events. We need, we need musicians and administrators. We need people to work with youth. We need people who can simply do gopher-type jobs. We need someone to coordinate communion. We need somebody to, to gather in and help us do setup and teardown because weekly this building is rented and weekly this stage goes up and down and up and down and it's exhausting. And what's the old saying? The more hands there are, the lighter the work. Or however you say that. I can't remember right now because I'm kind of going to think. <laughs> we need tons of people and we need them right now. And sure, some of these ministries have prerequisites. Sure, some of them require, like, police record checks, and some of them have auditions and stuff like that, and not every person can fit every single role. Of course. But the vast majority of them are easy first steps, first serve opportunities that we can plug you into right now, today. And what's waiting for you is an absolute adventure in growth. Take a look at Proverbs 11. It says this, A giving person 
will receive much in return. And someone who gives water also receive the water that we need. When you give, you get back. When you serve, you get back. That's not the reason why we do it. It's a wonderful byproduct of service. That when you water someone else, you yourself are watered. You will grow. Now, I'm not sure if everybody here has met this next lady or not. Um, I, I emailed her and asked her if I could talk about her, and she said this was okay. Her name is Heather Stewart, wonderful lady. She's been here longer than I have. And over the course of her time here at the church, she has served in an official capacity in 18 different ministries. One eight. 18 different ministries. And over the course of all that time, she has learned a whole bunch of stuff that she is absolutely terrible at. She really has. And she says that she found things that she really, really hated, and she found some jobs that she just doesn't ever want to touch ever again. And that is fair. But you know what else happened amidst all that stuff that she, she discovered she didn't like? She discovered a few things that she was absolutely passionate about. Like leading her home group. She feels like teaching other people about the compassion of Jesus is something that is so important to her. And that she just wants to do. And she feels like that is a purpose us wisdom 
We ask that you motivate us to get out of our, our seats, out of our simple places, and to move into other areas that we can be of service to. Lord God, I thank you 